Welcome to episode 58 of season 2 of the Search with Canda podcast. I am your host for this week, Jack Chambers Ward, and this week my guest is the one, the only, Lily Obaja. Lily and I are going to be talking about how to create fantastic, memorable content, and content specifically that stands out in the soon-to-be AI-dominated SERPs. Lily brought this topic to me, and I thought it was really, really interesting. We get into a really interesting conversation, and Lily has this fantastic framework talking about how to structure your content, how to plan your content, and really how to make things that will stand out in the SERPs against your competitors and against other companies that might be trying to tackle similar topics as you. So please do stay tuned for that in a few minutes for the fantastic Lily Ugbaja and my conversation with her. But before we get to that, of course, I'd like to give a shout out to this week's sponsor, the sponsor for all of season two of Search with Candor, the wonderful Systrix, also known as the SEO's Toolbox. And you can go to systrix.com slash SWC if you want to check out some of their fantastic free tools, such as their SERP snippet generator, href lang validator, if you want to check the Google update radar, and of course, you can check your site's visibility index there as well. Of course, you can also get Index Watch. Sector Watch and Trend Watch as well. They are the fantastic newsletters from the Systrix data journalism team over there. We've covered a bit of Sector Watch recently. Of course, we talked about Index Watch a couple of weeks ago, where we talked about the UK retail winners and losers of 2022. So a breakdown of UK retailers online and the biggest changes in visibility for those companies in 2022. We also talked about Sector Watch, which is all about air fryers at the end of January. Very, very interesting stuff. You want to learn more about air fryers and what people are doing in that niche. That is the article to read from the fantastic Charlie Williams, one of the data journalists over at Systrix. You can get all of this and plenty more breakdowns and information at systrix.com slash blog is the place to go. So without any further ado, welcome to the show, Lily Ogbaja. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jack. It's a pleasure to have you on. I'm excited to talk about you, talk about your career and dive into our topic for this week. But first of all, we just said this before we start recording. We're headphone buddies. Excellent start to the podcast. <laughs> the important thing, right? <laughs> We're not sponsored, I hasten to add, but Lily and I are both wearing Anchor headphones and they're a good choice if you do need some headphones out there, folks. If you need some Bluetooth over the noise cancelling headphones, I promise this isn't an ad or a sponsor. It sounds like it is, but it's not. They just happen to be good headphones that we're both using. We have both both have good taste, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lily, we have an interesting topic to discuss. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about you. Let's talk about your career so far how you got into writing and digital marketing and, and kind of some highlights of your career so far. So I guess my understanding, you kind of started off with blogging and, and writing and things like that. What was your transition? Did you have a career before that? Have you been doing that for a long time? Or what was that kind of process for you and that transition for your career? So um, for writing, I'd always been like a writer in from when I was in primary school, we call it primary school in Nigeria. My teachers and like I wrote the first my first novel when I was in primary school. So like writing <laughs> wow. has always been my thing. Yeah. But when I grew up, I moved into the admin side of things 
working as an executive assistant and stuff like that. And then I had my first child and I just wanted to work from home. And that kind of led into blogging because blogging was the most flexible thing to do from home for a mom. And then I, I wrote a guest post on Blogging Wizard to promote, you know, for backlinks. And a CRO company that powered the conversion rate optimization efforts of over 700,000 websites as of that time reached out and they were like, just from that single guest post that I did, I think it was my wow. second guest post. Yeah. <laughs> so they reached out and they were like, they were hiring full time and they would want me to work for them. And I'm like, Ooh, oh my gosh. So this, and, and, and the figures were like, wow, as I then, <laughs> yeah. And so, so I decided to like explore it because marketing was something that I, I really, really loved and being able to like the marketing I had discovered because growing up, marketing was a scary word for me. It's <laughs> when I talk about marketing as a child, I would think of a man in suits under the hot sun, <laughs> knocking people and trying to get them to buy something they didn't need. <laughs> Not quite the same digital marketing rather than door to door sales. <laughs> awesome. So you started, and that kind of sounds like you struck gold straight away. You got that second guest post and, and kind of got some recognition. I know you've worked with some pretty amazing clients over the years, right? Like people like SEMrush and HubSpot and Zapier and WordPress, just to name a few. You got an impressive resume of clients you've worked with before, and even things like doing a TED talk. I'm, I'm, I, I've watched it on YouTube the other day. Fantastic, very interesting. I'll put a link for that in the show notes list if you do want to go and check out Lily's TED talk. What was that experience like? That's such a cool thing to have to say you've done before. Really, like it blew my mind to be able to like do a TED talk, and I think that this just came from being who I. I was in a place where there was an opportunity to do it. Like the organizers, I met them on LinkedIn and they invited me to the show. And I feel like it's, at that point, I didn't have like a lot of visibility. So probably just because I was someone who was in tech in um, a place where not everyone was very um, into tech yet. Mm. And so, and I, I still remember the faces of the people when I spoke. It, it felt like, <laughs> but the video is edited, it's heavily edited, and there's a lot that isn't there. But like, if you were there in the live audience, I felt like I had reached into people's souls and kind of like shook them and like, wake up, <laughs> this is the way to go. And like, everyone was really, it was mind blowing. And I'm really looking forward to doing something like that again. The Red Dots. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And you've also been doing some mentoring work with the FCDC. That's a um, company we talked about a couple of times. It's a, a fantastic organization arranged by Chima Meiji. And we're talking about uh, basically it's a freelance coalition for developing countries, giving people in developing companies opportunities to work in digital marketing, get opportunities maybe they wouldn't have, attend conferences, do things like public speaking and talks and come on this podcast and all that kind of stuff. I had uh, Sadiq Ajala a couple of weeks ago. I had Goodness as a Bogo a couple of weeks ago. But you've actually been doing kind of the other side and doing some mentoring as well. What's that been like for you? It's been, it's been really, it feels really good to be able to give, not just give back, but like raise someone who used to be in a place where I used to be. 
Because I remember when I was starting out, there weren't a lot of African faces. Like I'd learned about this whole marketing and um, content marketing and everything years ago, as far back as 2011, 2010, 2011. But I would try then and I would give up because to me, I wasn't really sure if it was possible. And now there is a lot more representation and being able to like give, play my own part in that, it's, it's just, it's just really amazing. Like it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're definitely an inspiration to so many, you know, people who, in Africa who want to transition and, and like you said, have the flexibility to work from home. That is such an important thing. Now, so many of us have kind of got used to that in 2023, obviously with the COVID-19 pandemic and everybody kind of being forced to work from home and things like that. But um, I know I talked to Sadiq about it well, and exactly similar to your story, like having children, having a family, having those extra responsibilities that you just don't have time to, big commutes, traveling to the office, all that kind of stuff, having that power and that flexibility to have flexible working hours and working from home is so important now and Again, credit to Chima, credit to the FCDC that is empowering people to be able to do this sort of stuff. And hopefully, I'm doing my tiny, tiny little part to hopefully shine the light and give people opportunities here as well. So trying to do my part to help out and, and give people opportunities and shine the light on fantastic people like yourself, like Sadiq, like goodness. And hopefully, I'll have more members of the FCDC coming up later on in the year as well. So plenty more African speakers, African faces on the podcast coming up later on. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> that is the plan <laughs> so should we dive into this week's topic and i loved your little pitch to me when you came we we had a few twitter dms back and forth and you came straight away with content that stands out in a soon-to-be ai dominated SERP, which i i love that kind of tagline you can tell you're a writer straight away you've nailed that tagline you've got the headline straight away <laughs> <laughs> and obviously ai content has been a very very hot topic recently something we've covered a couple of times on the podcast and something that i have seen as you said all over linkedin all over twitter and all that kind of stuff and i guess we'll start with kind of uh, have a link through your website and you use this term the specificity strategy and bringing specificity to your content and how to make it kind of unique and stand out and all that sort of stuff. So I guess my question to you, Lily, is what does specificity mean to you when we're talking about content marketing and writing? Okay, so um, specificity is targeting an audience of one from the strategy itself to the writing to the distribution. A single person who is who is considered to be your best buyer, you know, the person who gives your customer support uh, success team the least headache and pays the most money to you, right? <laughs> and specificity is targeting this person right from like developing your strategy around this person, delivering, creating the content around this person's need, delivering the content where this person hangs out. So well, I said an audience of one, and I understand that companies can have several different personas. So yeah, specificity is when you have as many personas as you have, separating these people so that I think Canva, Canva is a perfect example of this. I remember when I was a blogger, for example, and I would be searching for a tool to make blog graphics. 
and I would find a a landing page from Canva. And that landing page would be completely tailored to me as a blogger. At that point, I didn't know that any other person was using Canva except bloggers. Like, I didn't know um, marketing themes or, you know, like other personas. Like, it felt like Canva was for me and me alone. And that's what specificity is. Connecting with your audience on a, on a level that they see you, they hear you, and they feel like you hear them and only them. Like, it's just me and you, me and you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something I think a lot of people kind of underestimate in marketing, especially as we kind of, obviously, we're talking mostly about digital marketing here, but it's something that has been in traditional paper marketing, billboards, movie adverts, all that kind of stuff. It has been in that thing for you want to get an emotional reaction from your audience. You want the reaction of, oh, this was made for me. Oh, my God, this is perfect. And not just a yeah. Facebook ad that follows you around the internet kind of way, but <laughs> in the actual content and the page feels like exactly as you're saying, Canva is made for bloggers. And, yeah. oh, my God, I'm a blogger. This is perfect. This is built for me. And having that initial reaction just instantly builds that connection. Exactly. Yeah, the, the connection is so key there. I think it's something... Again, we can get stuck into like keyword research and worrying about the stuff, like you said, building out personas and all this kind of stuff. But like, what are you actually trying to make? What What is the audience going to feel at the end of the day? What are, What are they going to learn? What is their What is the customer journey from there? Are you expecting them to feel happy or sad or like they're missing something? And the missing thing is your product or your service. That emotional connection. I I love that you brought that up so early. That's such a key part that I think a lot of us. I know I've been I've been guilty of it before in my career for sure. Like digital marketers getting caught in all the data and all the numbers and stuff, and not really thinking about that the person behind the screen. Right at the end of the day, it's users who are clicking on things, who are interacting with things, who are buying our products, buying our services. It's not just numbers on a page. One hundred, one hundred percent. So I guess using that specificity and thinking about that, how do you go through your process of? then thinking about that content. I mentioned things like keyword research and thinking about personas and stuff. What's the next step? You kind of got the idea of we want to emotionally connect to this perfect audience, this, this audience of one, the perfect customer, this person. How do you go about that? What's your initial kind of steps and process for that creation and that that content planning? Yeah. So once you figure out who this best this best buyer personer is, this audience of one that you want to speak to is I think the next thing that is really important is being able to tie their pain points to existing keywords. I want to give like an example is that sometimes the things that you think your products, the problems that you think your product is solving or the way that you think users use your products is completely different from what users actually use it for. It's completely different from, say, I, I could be selling... <sighs> But like, if you had a software, for example, maybe a project management software, and you feel like this is a to-do list for your, your audience, whereas your audience sees it as a visibility dashboard, like they want to be able to see everything going on in their lives at the same time, whereas you are looking for people who are looking for a to-do list. It's the same product, different functions, right? The same exact product is just different functions. And the people you find that the people who are your best customers are looking for a visibility dashboard. If you don't dig into the customer research, there's no way that you're going to discover that. 
let's just assume that disability dashboard is a keyword, right? So when you discover that by speaking to customers, of course, you discover that listening in, on sales calls and, you know, customer research, you discover that people are finding you for a visibility dashboard, not a to-do list. And so you take that keyword and then you plug it into your keyword tool, and then you see all the related keywords around that um, pain point. And that's what you want targets. You don't want targets to do list. Like eventually when, when you're building out, you know, when you've exhausted the whole, I think that specificity, first of all, exhausts sales enablement content. Like you create everything around sales enablement first, and then you go up the funnel. So figuring out what your buyers are searching for you with like visibility dashboard as opposed to a to-do list which like when you build your company your products you're like this is a to-do list and so we're going to try to rank for the keyword to-do list and so that you've used customer research and specificity to figure out who this best customer is and then we're building out a cluster around that this pain point that this this specific customer is trying to sell i think the next stage is in the actual writing itself so in the actual writing itself, I like to use something called the Lima framework to create content that is remarkable, specific, like just, it hits all of the points. I talked about this on, um, on SEM Rush thread, Twitter thread takeover. I'm, I'm going to link to it in case anyone wants to see that. And it's also, I think the expanded version of it is also on my newsletter. Like the Lima framework is basically logic explicitness, memorability, and actionability. So specificity is the foundation for this Lima framework, right? This particular audience that I'm talking to right now, where are they in their journey? What do they know? What do they want to know? What do they need to know? These three questions are like my polling beacon. I place them at the top of every doc that I write in order to know exactly who I'm talking to, the pain points that they've gone through, the journey, where they are right now on their journey, so that I can speak to them in a way that they can relate with. And so I think I bring in the L from the Lima framework. The L is logic structure that guides the contents that I'm writing based on this, this specific audience. So for keywords, for example, let me say, um, let me say top 10 marketing podcasts. What's the specific audience behind this keyword? Who is searching for this keyword and why are they searching? Mm. Yeah, that why is so important there, right? That That is that leading next question of, okay, we understand who we want, but why would they be searching for this? That's such an important question to ask yourself. Exactly, exactly. Like what are they trying to learn? What do they already know? What's should they know that they are not already thinking about? And I feel like this is where a lot of people miss it. So the what they know is something that you do not include. And someone who's searching for the best marketing podcast already knows what a marketing podcast is. So please know what is a marketing podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're listening to one. It Hopefully you already know it already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you jump straight into the podcast. I was just saying on, on, on another show this week that 
I think this best way to think of it is if you are having a conversation with a friend, with a friend, and they asked you this question, what would you be, what would be your response? Say they asked you, what are the best marketing podcasts to listen to? You would say, um, search with candor, um, you know, you start listing the podcast immediately. You wouldn't go, oh, a marketing podcast is so and so, and you should listen to a marketing <laughs> podcast because so and so reason, right? <laughs> you would list out those podcasts immediately. And the next question is like following the, the who, the what, why, and how logic. The next question would be why? Why do you recommend such with candor? In the context of the specific audience, how you speak to a, a five-year-old child, for example, and this is like a very broad example, is going to be shared. How you talk about the same topic to a five-year-old is going to be different from how you talk about the same topic to, say, a PhD um, student. Yeah, right. yeah, definitely. There was a fantastic YouTube series. I think Wired on YouTube did this, where they had they took very complicated subjects. So they took like music theory. And one of them was about black holes and things like that. And they had an expert describe it and explain it to a child, a teenager who is like at a school at the moment and actively learning, somebody who is studying at university level and another expert in that field. And understanding the difference in the language there was so interesting to me. Like I said, I'll put links for these videos in the comments. So if you go to the show notes at search.wakanda.co.uk, listeners, they'll be available for you right down there. But yeah, I find that so interesting. Understanding the level of knowledge of your audience. I found this with my clients at the moment as well. I have a particular client base where they are really, really knowledgeable. This is a really specific product base that we have that offers to people who really know their stuff. It is people who are high up in this industry who already know what they're doing. So there is no point creating a, what does this product do? How does this product work? <laughs> the audience that we're marketing to, that we want to bring in as customers, are people who are making you know decisions that may end up being like millions and millions of dollars, millions of pounds being spent on this project. They already know. They've been in this industry a long time. They're educated. They're already there. And then I have another client who is like, okay, we want the broadest option possible. We're marketing this to, say it's like clothing, to like, parents and stuff like that they might know not know what's best for a child of that particular age and all that kind of stuff understanding the the level of knowledge of your audience is so important and something i've definitely kind of come to understand and come to grips with over the last few years of my career for sure exactly so like that's that's i think that's the foundation of it knowing exactly who your audience is pinning their knowledge level at the point where you're not boring them with details that they already know and <laughs> and then you're giving them what they want to know and also going ahead of them to make sure that you're preparing them for the next phase of their journey. And I also think that, so the next thing in the Lima framework is E and it's for explicitness. I think this plays a very important role in specific content, right? There's something you can't fake and it's explicitness. Like two people right now could write um, how to photograph a couple and it would be completely like one of them you'd read through and like you don't even get what they're saying. Like it's all obvious stuff that anyone could have said. But like an expert might go into the details and be like use a, I don't know if this exists, but let's just say a 33 mm lens exists. And so they say use a 33 mm lens when you're, um, 
videoing the um, side of the face. All I'm just making this stuff up, right? But like this, <laughs> <laughs> this explicit level of saying exactly what you want to say helps the audience understand, like they can see themselves in the story that you're telling. Yeah, definitely. I think, again, that comes back around to that connection, right? And understanding who who they are and being clear, concise, understanding, like you said, don't waffle on about information people already know about or just because you want to get a few extra keywords in here, you start your sentence with this thing and so there's an opening paragraph full of stuff <laughs> that no one cares about but you think will help you rank. Yeah. Get to the point and understand, like you said, where people want to learn that stuff. Are you trying to educate them about something specifically? Is it a broader topic that you're then going to, like you said, at that top of the funnel and then link through and eventually guide them through that customer journey? Having that clear, and like, what, what am I trying to get the audience to feel? What am I trying to say to them? What am I trying to convey to them? That is that question you need to ask, right? To understand what's the point? Yeah, like, what, yeah. why, why have I written this article? I've written an article and then if you can't tell that, the audience probably can't tell that either. <laughs> you need to have the confidence in yourself <laughs> as a writer. Yeah, exactly. And then being specific also, you need to be able to bring in examples that are relatable to the audience. Like, examples that they can see themselves in, screenshots that allow them to see what is going on. Like they should be able to paint a picture while reading through your content. Content should make them, should immerse them. Like I want to read this thing knowing that it was meant for me and then I bookmark it or I share it with someone else who is just like me. I want to be able to act on it. I need your piece of content to enable me to act on it. And in order to act on it, I need to know that this was written for me. And how I know that it's written for me is because the actions that you spell out are things that I can follow. They are not too high above my knowledge level. Neither are they like beneath me that I'm just like, scrolling and scrolling and how, how do I get to the, <laughs> the meat of the post, right? And then if, if, you, if you're concerned about SEO, and I do this, is that you take those keywords, those beginner level keywords, and you put them in the SAQs. So yeah, the next thing in the Lima structure, talk about some memorability, which I think, again, <laughs> something I touched on a few weeks ago uh, with Alice Rowan, there's that, um, again, I can't remember the quote is from, but the people don't buy a product until they've seen it seven times. You see it on a website and then you see it on a billboard and then you see it in a magazine and then again on another website and then on social media and eventually you get that like you said there's that shareability oh yeah uh, i saw lily share that on linkedin the other day oh and then jack mentioned it on a podcast and then some uh, somebody posted about it on twitter and then suddenly that builds that kind of relationship again that connection that building that emotion with that audience and helping mm -hmm. you build that shareable memorable content right True, true. Like, I think um, what should be is, is just we can't always track, but like a, a good metric that should point to the success of content is, was this something that compelled this person to either bookmark or like share it or like, you know, mm. something, did they act on the content, right? And that, in, in case anyone's wondering, like, what do you do to make content memorable? It's 
So when I took a look at Sam Rush's account to do my Twitter thread about writing clear content, I talked about it and I gave it a framework, Lima, four words, very memorable, not a new. Not a new, but it feels new. Like novelty is something that is memorable. Think about the mm. skyscraper technique. Think about um, product-led content. All of this, this stuff, they, they kind of brand something that probably already exists. And then it just makes it more memorable. You, as a head of content or as a director of content, might have known all these things, like you know that your content needs to be logical and explicit and memorable and actionable, but like you've not had the time to sit down and document it. And then you, you see this framework that just summarizes it, like you can be editing your, your writer's um, work and you say, um, this doesn't really follow the lemur. Like you know for sure that once they see this, they, they think L-E-M-A, logical, explicit, and whatnot. And so it becomes something that is memorable enough for you to bookmark and share with maybe your team or something. It's not new. It's just well packaged. It's like pizza that you can pick up and go. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't have to wait for it to cook and all of that stuff. Right. I also think that something that is also that also makes content memorable, especially to a specific audience, is when you ignore everyone else, like you, you share a polarizing thoughts. Like if I were like when I was, a, let me use this example from when I was a mom blogger, right? I'm pro breastfeeding and I respect that other, some other moms may not want to breastfeed, right? But when I'm writing content to my audience who at breastfeeding moms, the moms that I want to, to um, attract. I'm going to say that nursing your baby is the best thing you can do in all of the world, right? Even though it may not be the reality for the mom who doesn't want to nurse, but like for my mm. audience, this is their reality. And so I, I stand on that polarizing statement and it either resonates with you and I know that you're my specific audience or it doesn't. And I know that you're not the person I'm targeting. Mm, yeah. I know a lot of people use that in a way to, like you said, drive engagement and shareability and stuff like that. There's that relatable element to it as well. Like you went mm -hmm. once you yourself as a mother were talking to other mothers going through similar situations. You then mm -hmm. have that relatability of like, I have been through this thing. I am doing this thing. I am breastfeeding. I have this experience. Maybe you can understand that and relate to that. And then, like you said, that then gets into a, a mum's forum or whatever, or a network or mm -hmm. whatever it is. And then that's shared on a Facebook group and then that's shared on Twitter. And then you get that shareability kind of kind of moment there. And I think having that, yeah, polarizing topics are a perfect example. Some people, we, you know who you are, will go onto social media and just do hot takes and just be polarizing for the sake of engagement and clicks <laughs> and just say mad, crazy things that they don't believe in just to get mad, crazy clicks. <laughs> I think I think if you want to be polarizing, if you want to do anything, let it come from conviction and let it come from rooted researchers who your target audience is. Yeah, definitely, definitely. 
And the last part of L-E-M-A, we've got A for actionability. And again, I think that comes around to what do you want your audience to do, right? That's that. And what's mm-hmm. the next step? What's the action you want them to take from that content? So I, I think that for you to declare on what the action is, you need to look at such intent. Like, thankfully, we have Google. You can browse and see why people are searching. So at least be able to glimpse why people are searching for um, a particular keyword. And if it's a keyword that isn't already being searched for, something that you find you find is important to your audience, but like no one's searching for it yet, then you'd be able to find in your customer data the reason why they would be wanting to do that. And so everything in the contents that you create is dedicated to helping them actualize that, to, co- to complete that action that they want to do or to like get that motivation that they want. For example, if I were writing a piece on how to pitch podcast hosts, right? The person who wants to, who's reading this piece wants to learn how to pitch podcast hosts. It's not the best um, way to approach it. If I just say, okay, to find hosts that you want to pitch and um, send them a nice message and maybe follow them on social media and like engage and all. Yeah, I'm telling them what to do, but I'm not telling them how to do it. I need to Mm. get into the tools and say, use... um, Use Spectre to find influencers in the niche that you're trying to pitch. Filter the keywords on Twitter, which like I'm making this up, <laughs> but like filter the, the keywords, um, the um, search on Twitter with the keyword podcast, marketing podcast. And I'm showing them with actual screenshots of me doing it. Like they can visualize this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I say, send them a, an email. And I give them an actual email script, right? And I'm explaining why each part of the script makes sense so that they can take that script and customize it using the parts that make sense to them. And then like, I think the most important thing that content should do is explain why and how. If you explain the why without saying the how, it leaves, it leaves people with knowledge of what to do, but then they feel lost and they go back to uh, the SERPs and they are searching again. Someone else has probably provided that answer, right? So Mm -hmm. you then, Mm -hmm. you start them off on that journey, but you're not the one that's continuing them on that journey. And they go off, they they find a competitor who did answer that question and you've lost that lead, you've lost that customer. 100%, because the person that people remember is the person who led them to results and to get results, you need to take action. So like, I think actionability is the most important thing. Any piece of content can, can help, uh, can do to help stand out on the search, right? So you're giving them like every single thing they need to, to, to be able to visualize the action that they need to take and to be able to do it, whether it's checklists or templates. And these things should not be gated, in my opinion. Like if it's something that they need to be able to fulfill what is on the the post, not an add-on for a next step, but like what they need to be able to do the thing that you say you're going to teach them to do, then you need to be able to keep everything in the page and it's not gated. Yeah, definitely. I think having clear next steps, whether that's internal linking to the next article, the, the, the how or 
having a clear CTA to buy the product, go through to the next stage, continue the research into the service. That's such a key part of that journey and being able to guide people through having a, that clear kind of structure to your linking and understanding what the potential paths are through your website, whether that's from your blog and coming from a more like informational intent, coming back to search intent, or they're coming in with a transactional intent. You don't want them to have to go through, somebody comes on trying to buy a product and they have to read three blog posts before they even get to the product page. <laughs> that is that is not the ideal customer journey. That's not, I no, find no. that really yeah. frustrating as a user. I'm like, I'm just trying to buy this software. Can I just buy your software? I had it the other day, funnily enough, I was looking into like different editing software for this podcast. And mm -hmm. I tried to download it and it just kept sending me around to like, oh, here's our pricing structure. Here's this other thing. Here's why you should use us and not this other competitor. I'm like, I'm trying to use you. Give me a download button. Where is this? Just let me be your customer. I want to be your customer. <laughs> You're getting in the way. You want that customer journey to be as simple and straightforward as possible. And like you said, that brings in conversions. That brings in customers. That brings in people who then go and share your stuff and talk about it. And you build that reputation. It's the wider, the bigger picture of marketing, right? <laughs> yeah. You kind of build brand equity such that when someone is maybe scrolling on social media or scrolling to the steps and they see your link, whether it's number three or number five, they skip the others and they come to you because they know that they're going to have their intents fulfilled. Yeah. Definitely. And that ties into kind of like discussions about double EAT and building that authoritativeness and, and establishing yourself as an authority, as an expert, proving that you're a trustworthy brand or a trustworthy writer in, in our case. And we're thinking about, you know, oh, this article was written by Lily. I know I can trust Lily's opinion on copywriting yeah. and SEO because she knows what she's talking about. So instead of reading, I don't know, me writing about writing, I, I haven't written about copywriting for a very, very long time trust Lily's opinion over my opinion because you do it for a living you do it professionally you you've been you know been working with big brands and you like we said at the beginning of the show you've done all this amazing stuff in your career that's the proof that's the building that brand understanding and recognition and reputation and all that kind of stuff so should we finish off discussing a little bit about because the topic did have AI dominated setups in the end there so mm -hmm. I guess my big question for you as a copywriter, as a content marketer, how do we best kind of differentiate ourselves from AI generated content? How do we separate human created stuff that is ticking all of these boxes, making sure we are following the Lima structure compared to AI generated content? I think the answer is in the question. <laughs> Let's keep it logical, explicit, memorable and actionable. AI still struggles a lot with structure, even the best I've seen still struggles a lot with structure. Like there's a lot of stuff that shouldn't be in there that gets in there. And that just bores the audience kind of like AI struggles with being explicit. Like it spits out beautiful nonsense. And this is where people <laughs> can, can totally stand out, right? What exactly are you trying to say? Don't leave anything up to guesswork for the, for the reader. Say it explicitly. If I say go and listen to marketing podcasts, I need to mention which podcasts I'm recommending. 
So people don't don't think I'm recommending maybe Neil Patel's podcast or some other podcast that I probably wouldn't recommend. <laughs> right? I think that's the first time anybody's mentioned Neil Patel on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I see. <laughs> I mean, I, I, all the listeners had that like, uh-oh, sudden moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you leave it up to guesswork, the your reader could go online and find Neil Patel's podcast first and they listen to it and they probably like it. And maybe Neil's um, um, advice is different from yours and they never come back to you. Or like, <laughs> so that, that is by the way. Um, so uh, memorability, like we talked about before, is making sure that you're infusing your work with examples, which, as of the moment, AI cannot come up with. Like even yeah. fictional examples, AI still can't really do a good job with. And yeah, I saw some examples with the new Bing integration with ChatGPT, and it's and it's listing citations and things like that. Um, there was a study by Brody Clark. We mentioned it in last week's episode, and yeah. it just got stuff wrong just straight up got stuff wrong, cited incorrect information from different things and is just like you said, even if it's fictional or non-fictional, it is just, uh, yeah, I saw this thing and for one better phrase, misunderstood it and then is referencing it as a, as a citation and there's no fact checking. There's, unless you go in, follow that process, click on that link, follow the citation, read the second article to confirm. Sometimes the, the, uh, it, like the citation is made up sometimes. I've seen yep. cases like that. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, I've, I think that people can use podcasts like this one to find examples that they can include in their content, right? People can watch YouTube videos where people who are kind of experts on the topic are actually speaking because Almost everyone can write. And so if, you're, if your source of truth is the other articles on the serves, then you're definitely doing it wrong because you could be taking inspiration from AI-generated content that no one is going to take action on, right? <laughs> definitely, definitely. So people, if people spend time in communities where their audience hangs out, like forums, and listen to the podcasts that they listen to, follow the influencers that they follow, like these are some good ways to find examples that you can include in your content. And I find the news tab is also like a really good place to find stuff, mm. depending on the niche where you are, you are writing in. In the yeah. end, they. The goal of your content is to get people to act. AI content cannot, at this point, get people to act on it because it doesn't provide all of the enablements that the people need. It doesn't say the why explicitly. It doesn't say the how, like, this is exactly what you need to do and this is how you need to do it. Using this tool and this is the reason why you need to use this tool. And this is the gap that humans can fill. Absolutely, absolutely. Hopefully, budding writers and SEOs and that you're feeling inspired to go and create some content. Thank you, Lily, for providing some fantastic advice and recommendations. Like I said, links for everything we've talked about, articles from Lily, YouTube videos and everything we covered. Not Neil Patel's podcast. I will not link to that. Everything else will be linked in the show notes and you can find that nice and easily. Uh, links for all of your social media and stuff, Lily, will also be linked there. But where is the best place people can find you? Where can people subscribe to you and find out more information about you if they'd like to follow you? 
Okay, I hang out the most on LinkedIn and I'm the most guilty on Twitter. I'm at Lily Badger. <laughs> That's the perfect balance right there, I think. Yeah. Active and engaging yeah. and professional on LinkedIn. Goofy, silly <laughs> stuff on Twitter. Perfect balance. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you can also find me on my website, um, lilyobarger.com, and find some of the amazing stuff that I'm creating, you know, about processes and just documentation that you can use on your teams at marketingcyber.com. Amazing. Like I said, links for all of those will be in the show notes at search.withcanada.co.uk listeners. Nice and easy place for everything. And you can go and follow Lily on all the social media and subscribe to the newsletter as well. Thank you so much for joining me, Lily. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Jack. The pleasure is all mine. And that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you once again to Lily Obaja for joining me. It's an absolute pleasure to chat all things content and helping us and our, hopefully, the rest of the listeners stand out in the SERPs with our content as well. Please do go and check out Lily's newsletter and Lily's website. Like I said, links for all of that stuff, including the Lima framework and all the examples and details Lily gave throughout the show are available at search.withcanda.co.uk. Mark and I will be back very soon with our very first Systrix co-branded live stream. That's right, we're working with Systrix and we're going to do a monthly live stream to basically give you a recap of the SEO and PPC news, all the important stuff from that month, essentially. So please do stay tuned for that. Of course, we will shout that out on social media and all that kind of stuff. And it will also be available as a podcast on this very podcast feed. So if you're unable to join us live on YouTube, you can still listen in the podcast feed as usual as well. In the meantime, Mark and I are preparing to go to Brighton SEO coming up in April. So if you are attending Brighton SEO, please do come and say hello. We're always happy. I will probably be running around with a microphone again, recording episodes and interviewing people. So if you are there and you do want me to ask you a question and interview you and feature you on the show that I do after Brighton SEO, please do come and say hello in person. But until then, thank you so much for listening. I hope you've been enjoying season two so far. I know I've been enjoying it. And we'll be back next week with more news, interviews, and all the highlights of the SEO and PPC world. Have a lovely week until then.